want to talk a little bit about an event in the life of Jesus that happens in John chapter 21, and it happens after uh, the resurrection, okay? And this is the only miracle Jesus performed after the resurrection, is the one we're going to look at here with the fish in John chapter uh, 21. But I want to talk uh, first about the resurrection for just a moment as we launch into that. How many of you watched any part of the Olympics last month? Anybody watch any of the Okay, we were just Olympic fanatics, and I want to keep talking about the Olympics even though it was last month, because it's too painful to talk about football being from Los Angeles, because, you know, USC, Josh and I were out to late to dinner, and I thought I saw a final score that USC had won, and get home to find out they lost it in the end. And then the Rams were so happy to have Los Angeles Rams, you know, the Rams back in Los Angeles, but you know they haven't scored a touchdown yet this season, and yet they're one and one, uh, they're 500, and they haven't scored a touchdown. I'm just wondering, can you go um, without a touchdown the entire season and end up 500? You know, that, that would just be an amazing thing to happen. So it's too depressing to talk about football. So what I want to talk about is the Olympics. And, and Kimberly and I were just fanatics on the Olympics this time. We, I always tend to jump into the Olympics like with three or four days to go. And then I'm always mad like, oh, we should have gotten hooked earlier. So I literally wrote it in my calendar, get hooked on the Olympics early this time. So we jumped all in from the beginning. And here's what I loved about the Olympics this time. It was like the Jesus Olympics. I'm telling you, there are 205 countries and, you know, scattered all around the world, these 205 countries, and the fingerprints of Jesus were like everywhere on the Olympics. People, Christ followers, like in so many different nations all, all over the place. Now, it's no surprise because Jesus was like watching over the entire Olympics there at Rio de Janeiro. It's kind of like their version of Touchdown Jesus that you have here for Notre Dame fans. So Jesus was like overseeing the whole Olympics. But here's one of my favorite examples, and there are just many examples I could give. One of my favorites was, did anybody see the Fiji rugby team when they won the gold? And yeah, hardly anybody saw this. I just saw it on YouTube. I didn't actually see what happened in the Olympics. So anyway, they didn't, they didn't show this, I don't think, on prime time, but this is one of those middle of the afternoon kind of things that you see. Well, Fiji had never won a medal in the, in the history of their history at the Olympics. Never won a medal. And they win the gold medal in, in rugby. And their first response when they win the gold medal is to sing a praise song to Jesus. And the words of the song, first they're going to sing it in the Fiji language, then in English, um, is, uh, we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the Lord, we have overcome. Let me share it with you right now. It's a million smiles from Fiji. Fiji are the Olympic champions. And what a moment for Fiji who never had an Olympic medal of any kind before. And now they have gold here in Rio with their national sport of seven-a-side rugby.
Isn't that awesome? I just, they're pretty good singers too, aren't they? They're actually harmonizing there and stuff. Now, the point of that clip is not that if you love Jesus, you're going to win a gold medal. As a matter of fact, the message is the exact opposite of that is what I'm going to share this morning. But here's the point behind it. I just, every once in a while, we need to step back and just appreciate what what Jesus did, you know, the accomplishment of what, the supernatural nature of it. I mean, think about this. Here's a little tiny island uh, in the middle of the South Pacific, 9,921 miles from Jerusalem. It's 2,000 years later after the life of Jesus, and the first thing they think of when, it, when something good happens in their life is to give praise to Jesus. Is that crazy or what? Uh, I mean, here's the biggest movement in world history, the fastest growing movement in world history back then and today as well. Uh, The Christ followers are in every nook and cranny of the world, almost every ethnic group, almost every racial group, almost every language group, all around the globe, the biggest movement in world history. It continues to be the fastest growing movement in world history. Who could launch such a thing? Only one name, and the name is Jesus. What event could launch that global movement. Only one thing, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. Why did it launch it? Because the resurrection of Jesus was all about restoring broken people with their God. And he starts with Peter, and that's the story uh, that we're looking at here um, in five myths about being a Christian. Myth number one, Real Christians don't get tested, okay? How many of you know that's bogus, all right? That is like, and all God's people rolled their eyes at the same time, all right? Real Christians don't get tested. Now, Jesus predicted this about Peter. His other name was Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. Now, I I love this. Satan, we get scared of Satan and, you know, and all spooked out about Satan and stuff like that. Satan is a little schoolboy begging God for permission to sometimes test Christians like he did with Job and here's like he did uh, for Peter. God's in control. Now, God doesn't do the bad stuff, but he does allow Satan sometimes to do the bad stuff. So Satan is asked, can I sift all of you as wheat? But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, he says, look, you're going to get beaten up. You're going to get knocked down. But when you get back up again, when you've turned back, here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn from that experience to strengthen your brothers and sisters and encourage them in the tough time that they're going through. Now, in the original Greek, this carries with it, this word sift means to shake you up, to shake a person up. And so it's almost as if, and some of you can identify with this, and I've been talking to people through the morning, and some people are just going through some hard stuff. I know what they are back at my church back home in Pomona, and I don't know you as well, but I just know it with this many people here, there's some really tough stuff that you're going through. And how many of you can identify? You feel like you're in this sifter, all right? And you're being shaken up by Satan, and he is just shaking you up and knocking you around. Here's what John Piper says. We can imagine a picture like this. Satan has a big sieve with jagged edged wires forming a mesh with holes shaped like faithless men and women. What he aims to do is throw people into this sieve and shake them around over these jagged edges until they're so torn and weak and desperate that they let go of their faith, fall through the sieve as faithless people uh, right into Satan's company. And maybe you can identify with that. And Jesus predicted, he says, listen, here's what's going to happen to you, Peter. Satan is going to sift you just like that. Your faith is going to be tested. 
And God, maybe the whole reason you got out of bed and, and got here uh, this morning, and by the way, let me just tell you, uh, can I just say this, um, that you at the, uh, at the 1150 service, is that right? We have an 1111 service, and people complain about it being that late. I'm just going to go back and say, well, Mercy Road has an 1150 service. How, how about that? Can I just tell you that you all here are my heroes? Because for a church to grow, no, it, it's a weird thing. It happens at our church as well. We have this struggle, and praise God, these are good problems to have what Mercy Road has. But in our, serv- in our church, like, and they say this is typical, if you have three services over 50% of the people go to the middle service. And then the other 50 are divided between the first and the third. And so I always say to our people at the, what ours is the 11-11 service, the third service, you are my heroes. You're just simply you coming to church at this time helps the overall church to grow. So you guys are like my favorites. I just want to tell you, okay, uh, that I just, I, I'm saying this on behalf of Josh. I wouldn't say this at my home church, but I'll just say it on behalf of Josh. You guys are awesome. And simply, I mean, how good is that? What a great ministry. Sleeping in can help your church grow, all right? <laughs> Getting brunch ahead of time can help your church grow. Reading the newspaper. Does anybody read? You guys are a young congregation. Newspaper, you probably don't even know what that is. It's like this thing. It, now it's online. But at any rate, just coming to church late can help your church grow. And so look, I'm just going to say this on behalf of your pastor. You're my heroes and keep it up and yay 1150 people. That is awesome. Now, God is going to allow your faith to be tested. Here, and here's why you're at church this morning. You just need to hear this. God uses testing to grow you up spiritually. He uses testing to make you more dependent on him. He uses testing so we can reflect his glory. And, and, and so he's going to use all that stuff within your life for his good purposes. I wish that God grew me best with a lemonade in my hand on a beach in Hawaii. I wish that's how I grew best. Unfortunately, that's not the way it is. I tend to grow, you tend to grow best uh, through the hard times. Now, myth number two, real Christians never have an epic fail. Now, here's where this epic fail for Peter happened. Here's Caiaphas's house in Jerusalem as it uh, looks today. And here's the setting for this story. Verse 15 of John 18. Simon Peter and another disciple, and John wrote this biography of Jesus. He's an eyewitness account uh, to these events in the life of Jesus, and he never refers to himself by name. He is so humbled that Jesus could love a guy like him. He just can't get over it that a messed up guy like him, Jesus could love him. So he never refers to himself by name. He just says another disciple, or in some cases he says the disciple Jesus loved. He just can't bring himself because he just can't believe that Jesus loves him. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Denial number one. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Now, little thing to remember here. This is, in the original Greek, this is probably a charcoal fire, which would have a distinct smell to it. Okay, so hold on to that little idea. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Charcoal fire that had a distinct smell to it. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Again, she asked him. Peter was standing there. Now we're in verse 25. Uh, So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it a second time. I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man 
whose ear Peter had cut off. You tend to remember somebody that cuts the ear off of a family member. They lock that in. He challenges him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, number three, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Luke adds the additional eyewitness detail where he says that Jesus looks at Peter at that moment. And it reminds Peter of what Jesus had predicted about him. It says that he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He leaves the smell of that charcoal fire, a broken man, broken because he had failed and fallen with Jesus. Myth number three, real Christians never get discouraged. Now it's after the resurrection. And they're at the Sea of Galilee, okay? New setting now up in Galilee. And now we're going to meet the bad boys of the disciples. The baddest boy is Judas Iscariot. He's gone. But there are 11 left, and the baddest five, these are seven that are in the story, but five of them are named, and they are the bad boys of the disciples. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, who had just denied Jesus, so Simon Peter the denier, Thomas, he's known for doubting Jesus. We call him Doubting Thomas. So Peter, the denier, uh, Thomas, the doubter, Nathaniel, now he's the wise guy. He's the sarcastic one in the group. He's a little bit of a racist, a little bit of a classist, a little bit of an elitist. He's the one, remember, when they said Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, he's the sarcastic guy. So Peter the denier, Thomas the doubter, Nathaniel the sarcastic guy, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, their nickname were the sons of thunder because they had such a bad temper problem. These are guys that needed anger management. It says that these two guys, James and John, okay, John who's writing the book, uh, he was later called the disciple of love. He was the, he's the guy that love is his favorite thing to talk about with regard to Jesus. It says once they were going through a Samaritan village on their way to Jerusalem, and because they were Jewish and the Samaritans were racist against them, they wouldn't allow them a place to stay the night. And so the sons of thunder, James and John, they go up to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, let's call down fire from heaven and burn them alive. And Jesus goes, I've got so much work. I mean, from burn them alive to the disciple of love, the, the disciple of love. That's what Jesus does. That's the butterfly effect that you're going to start studying. The butterfly chronicles, you're going to start studying next Sunday. What an awesome series that like. I mean, I just steal stuff from, we'll, we'll probably do that series six months from now in Pomona. We just rip off everything from Mercy Road. I just come here once a year, just steal everything, and then, then go back to California and pedal it off as my own, okay? But it's fine enough away. Nobody knows. That's not entirely true, but somewhat true. Okay. Uh, they said, we're going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. So Peter says, discouraged. He says, you know what? I don't know what's going on. Let's just go back to know, do what we're doing. Let's go fish. We'll go with you, they said. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, the seven disciples, they get in the boat, they fish all night. They've got nets that are maybe 20 feet across with little lead sinkers around the edges of them. Nighttime's the best time to fish. So the school of fish, they would come to the surface so they'd have a torch in their hand to see a school of fish that's coming to the surface. They would drop the net on it. Uh, these were experts in fishing. It was exhausting work. They have fished all night, and they've not caught a thing, even though they're experts. Are any of you fishermen here? Any, we got any people like to fish? Okay, I want you to know, I am like the worst fisherman in the world. My, we have a family tradition. We love to fish in our family. We just never catch anything. My kids have never actually caught a fish. They know other families do catch fish, but it's just our tradition to just go out and stare at the bait out there, you know, and never catch anything. But these guys are experts. And they really represent us. 
Uh, they represent me. Because they think they're experts, but they have come up with nothing. And I tell you, I believe I'm an expert on my life. I'm a pretty good expert on what makes Glenn Gunderson happy, what makes Glenn Gunderson significant or effective, and I'm an expert on how to run my life. And then I get to the end of myself, and I don't catch a thing. And I'm miserable, and I feel empty inside. And Jesus says to me, Glenn, how's that expert thing working out for you anyway? I say, not too good. And that's when he shows up and says, you want to try it my way? Well, my way's not working. Can't hurt. Let's try it Jesus' way. And that's exactly what happens here. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. The only true fish story ever told in history. This is the only time the truth was told. So that at the end of themselves, the end of ourselves, we haven't caught a thing. We're experts. But we, and we've listened to the experts. And we think we're experts. And we've come up empty. He, Jesus said, try it my way. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, this is exactly what happened three years earlier with Peter when he first encountered Jesus. And it, who knows, it may have happened in the exact spot where this happened as well. Uh, Luke 5, verse 10, here's what happened three years before. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, there are a thousand reasons I love following Jesus. This is one of my favorites. Is that, you know, you know what our culture and society tells us? That we are just random cells experiencing random chance. That's what our culture tells us. You know what you are? It doesn't really matter how you live your life. Because after all, you're just random cells that happen to get organized into this body. And then you just kind of go through life and you try to earn a living and you catch a few good movies and you catch a few good meals and you catch a few good games and you raise kids to do the same and then you die and turn into dirt and then your random cells become random, you know, again, in the, in the, in the soil. And it's just random cells experiencing random chance. That's the lie that our culture has sold to us. And here's what I love about Jesus. We meet him. It says that is absolutely not true. You're the only person created like you. You are one in billions. There's nobody else in human history that's in the history of the universe that's ever been created just like you. And God has this master plan for history, and you're the only one that can fulfill your spot in that master plan. You have a role in human history, and you're the only one that can say this particular line in God's play. You're the only one that can play this particular note in God's orchestra with his score that he has written. You're the only one on God's team that can take this particular shot at this time. And all of a sudden, this random cells experiencing random chance becomes you are incredibly significant. Every day is meaningful. You know, for the typical NFL player, what do they have? If they don't have the playoffs, they have, what, 16 games? And how many, what's the average career of an NFL player? Maybe five years. So the typical NFL player has 80 game days their entire life. If you're a follower of Christ, every day is game day. Every day you get up knowing that that encouraging comment you make to that person at work, that act of love, that act of service, that, that giving, you sharing Jesus with somebody, inviting somebody to Mercy Road so, so Pastor Josh can share Jesus with them. That everything you say, everything you think, every prayer you pray, every moment of your day has eternal consequence. Every moment of your life echoes into eternity. 
Every day is on game day. I'm telling you, when you get up in the morning, you should have a little tunnel out the front of your door, your house. And you run through the tunnel and you do low fives with your kids and with your spouse. And you run out into the daylight and, and the crowds of heaven are, ah, I mean, you know, as you come out, because for the follower of Christ, every day is game day. And that's what I love about Jesus. He finds, uh, you know, Peter fishing, catch a fish, eat it, don't starve for a day, go to bed, get up, repeat the next day. And he says, nothing wrong with fishing. You know, you do need to eat, and your family needs to eat. But he says, but from now on, you're going to fish for people. It's not just going to be a job. It's going to be an opportunity to take your 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence. God's plan for your life is to go to heaven and to take your, your sphere of influence with you. Take your 8 to 15 with you. You don't just play in a volleyball league. You are there for the purpose of fishing for people. You don't just live in your neighborhood by accident. You're not just in your family by accident. You don't go to school where you go to school by accident. Everything is strategic. From now on, you are going to leverage your life to go to heaven and to take your 8 to 15 with you. Now, here's the problem. Peter was called to something bigger than what he was doing before, something more significant. A role in God's master plan for the human race, the master history for the universe. But he thinks, I've blown all that. Man, when I denied Jesus three times, that life is over. So it's back to the mundane once again. And Jesus seeks out Peter to restore him to that calling once again. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. He was basically fishing in his underwear, and in that culture back then, it was considered impolite to greet a person in your underwear. Probably not a cool idea in this culture today either. Right? Probably not a good idea either. So he jumps into the water, probably swims the fastest hundred meters, you know, faster than Michael Phelps, uh, to Jesus. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there. Remember the smell of the burning coals? With fish on it and some bread. You know what scientists tell us? That the sense of smell is the most powerful for helping you have memories from the past. Have you found that true? That you'll smell something and all of a sudden you're in your mother's kitchen as a little girl or a little boy. The other day, I smelled something, and it reminded me of my college locker room. How's that for a great smell? But it was a great memory. It was a great memory. You know, it was an awesome memory. And so they tell us that smells can... Tra okay, so this charcoal fire smell transports Peter back to the fire where he's denying Jesus three times. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish... 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. That's 153, who cares? A fisherman cares about that. If you're a fisherman or a fisherwoman, you, you just can tell this is an eyewitness that's reporting it. It's an eyewitness. Um, it's a fisherman. They just want to tell you the detail. Now, church leaders through the years and preachers have tried to spiritualize this a little bit. I love this one with the number 153, Jerome. He was like an early church leader, like in, I don't know, 400 AD or 500 AD. He said this. He said there were 153 types of fish in the Sea of Galilee, and each one, of, one from each species was in the net. And so in Jerome's mind, that meant that it served as a symbol of the fact that someday in heaven, people from every nation and tribe are going to be there. 
Now, I think that's just a fish story. I'm not buying that. I think this is just a fisherman can't contain his exuberance, and he wants to give you the number, and he wants to give you the size of the fish. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You remember, Jesus appeared to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And he did it multiple times over the time after his resurrection. This explains, you know, historians have always been mystified as how Christianity grew so fast. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Within a few years, like 80% of Jerusalem were followers of Christ. And historians are always like, you know, this is a crazy story, right? A guy crucified by the Romans comes back to life again, okay? And, 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 and this is the story. And like all, almost everybody believes it right away. I think this explains it. I think almost everybody in Jerusalem or in the near environs had either seen the resurrected Jesus or they had somebody they trusted, a family member or a friend who they trusted who had seen Jesus. So when they heard the story, they believed it because they'd either seen it with their own eyes as an eyewitness or somebody they trusted had seen it. And I think it explains the explosive spread and growth of Christianity. Myth number four, God won't use Christians who fail or who fall big time. Myth number four, God won't use Christians who fail or fall big time. Did any of you ever run track in high school or college? Anybody run track again? Okay, the, the, for you, this is dedicated to you for the next 94 seconds. This is yours. Watch this. The 600 meter underway. Heather Donald in Minnesota finished second in this event a year ago. She was in lane four. And Dornan is probably going to be your favorite. She actually won the NCAA championships in 2006 in the 800, but she only won one Big Ten championship in the two years. Three laps in this event, 600 meters, three times around the 200 meter track here at the field house. What a bold move by Fallon. She's looking very confident, and the Penn State runner is just running amazing today. She did win her heat in the 400, but ended up taking fourth overall. That's Fondor moving into the lead, a sophomore from Penn State. Dornan running second. Dornan last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten Championship, so they're really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend, and she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the bell line. but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Dornan is flying down the back. She is, she is catching up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. wow. She's got fun. This is a gutsy effort by Dornan. I love that clip. That's a picture of your life. Maybe you, the reason God got you out of bed and got you here this morning when so many other things you could be doing is just to say this, you've fallen down, but it's time to get back up once again. Yeah, you've fallen down, but you can get back up and you can not only finish the race, you can win the race that God has set out for you. Now, here's where it happens. Here's, here's where Jesus gets Peter back up on his feet again. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, remember he's got the smell of the charcoal. So he's like transported back to the earlier fire where he denied him three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. That is, go to heaven and take your eight to 15 with you. Minister to the people in your sphere of influence. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times for three denials. He gets them back up on his feet. Some of you here feel disqualified to serve Christ because of some mistake you've made or some failure. Let me just tell you, if God didn't use sinners, he wouldn't have anybody to use. If, he didn't, if, if, if sinning canceled out your ability to join God's army, there'd be nobody in, in his army. There'd be nobody on his team. Now, I'm not promoting sin, okay? Um, God uses first-time obedience, I think, more powerfully than he does failure followed by secondary obedience. Not all the time. Sometimes, like in Peter and Paul and others, he uses secondary obedience even more powerfully. But most of the time, God uses first-time obedience, and you have fewer scars to show for it than if you had just obeyed the first time. But I'm telling you, when you fall down, he can get you back up. And God's plan B or God's restoration plan is an awesome plan, and he can use you in just such a great way. Myth number five, real Christians will live pain-free lives. And all God's people rolled their eyes in unison on that one, didn't you? Oh my goodness, you know that's not true, don't you? And that wasn't true for Peter. Here's a painting by Luca Giordano in 1660 in Venice. And, and Peter, according to church tradition, was crucified upside down because he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified right side up like Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, in the Greek language that this was originally written in, this is in the present imperative, which means keep on following me. Even if you've fallen down, get back up. Keep following me. Even if you're going through a hard time in your life, you're in the sieve. You're discouraged here. You're being sifted by Satan. You hang in there. You keep following me. 30 years after Jesus said this, it's now 67 AD, the notorious Roman emperor Nero um, is sentenced Peter and his wife to be executed. Peter had to watch his wife die first, according to Clement, who was an early church historian at that time, said that Peter's wife was executed first. And as she was let out to die, Peter shouted to his wife, remember the Lord. And then she went and died. And then they took Peter and crucified him upside down. Now, I get such a kick out of this next part. This is so much like me. This is so much human nature. Peter turned... And saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. That's John. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper. And it said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And boy, is that typical. You would think God says to you, I have an awesome plan for your life. 
I've got this master plan for the history of the universe and you're the only one I've made like you and you're the only one that can fulfill this particular spot in my master plan. Boy, you would feel like, my goodness, and nobody can be you better than you. Okay, but what do we do? What do I do? Okay, Jesus, but how does that compare to how her life is gonna go or how his life is gonna go? And I'm so passionate about this because I think comparison ruins our happiness. If we could just be fulfilled being the best, nobody can beat you at being you. If we could just be fulfilled in that rather than how much do I earn compared to so-and-so? How's my health compared to this person? How well-behaved are my children compared to that person? Okay, if we could just learn to, to be, run the race God has called us to, how much more fulfilled we would be. And you know, there's a great example of this uh, from history. Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. And uh, I, am, I am so psyched. I have brand new statistics to go with this that I am so excited about. Who's your creative director? I'm sorry, your name again is? Megan. Megan has given me, I, I love statistics, and she's just given me the best ones that she Googled uh, while I was preaching. Um, 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 she was also checking Facebook and stuff like that. I think, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, Megan. Just kidding. So anyway, she gave me these stats. This is an amazing story. Leonardo da Vinci is considered one of the most gifted men that ever lived, the most gifted man of his time. Do you know how he lived the last 10 or 15 years of his life? Miserable, bitter. Depressed. You know why? Because of the acclaim of a younger man by the name of Michelangelo. And everybody began to say, Michelangelo is also gifted. And he was so jealous and he was so consumed by jealousy that this great man, Leonardo da Vinci, he, he died a miserable, bitter man because of jealousy and resentment of Michelangelo. Now, you know the irony of all that? And this is what Megan just gave to me. List came out a number of years back of the most influential people in human history. Guess who number one is? Anybody want to guess? Jesus. You're in church, the answer usually is Jesus. Okay, I just want you to know. You're having trivial pursuit in church, Jesus is usually the answer. Number two is Isaac Newton. Number three is Einstein. Number four is Leonardo da Vinci. Michelangelo is number 33 on the list. He spent his life in depression as number four on the list, jealous about number 33. Now, let me just tell you, if they had been tied or if it had been the other way around, if I make the top 100 list of the most influential people in human history, I should feel good about myself. That's a major self-esteem builder. And yet he, he just, and I think we're gonna get to heaven and feel so silly about the time we wasted being jealous of so-and-so or bitter uh, against uh, uh, so-and-so. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Now, John and Peter had very different ministries. Their lives turned out very differently. But both of them were successful in the eyes of God. I mean, John, he, he suffered a good deal. He was poisoned, according to church tradition, boiled at one point, miraculously survived. But John would outlive Peter by 34 years. He outlived Peter by 34 years. He's the only disciple that died of old age. But they both were used by God. They both were welcomed into heaven to great acclaim. And some of you are going through pain and hardship. And you look around at other people and you just wonder, why do others have such easy lives compared to mine? And I just want to tell you, 
I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. But I do know this. God has a wonderful reward for you someday for persevering and not giving up. You be the best you you can be. You follow him. You run the race he set out for you. And there will be great joy and victory if you get back up, you continue the race, and you run into the arms of Jesus at the finish line into heaven. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray together as the praise band comes back up. I want to just pray for two groups of people here. One is maybe you feel like you've had a failure in your life and, and God can't use you uh, fully for his purposes because of that. And I just want you to know in Christ, you are forgiven, you are loved. And like Peter, who denied him three times, you can be restored. And he says, get back up on your feet again, continue to follow me. Or, or maybe you're here and you're just discouraged. You have been beaten up by life. You're going through something, um, a health problem or a financial problem. There's a bill waiting for you on the dining room table when you get home. There's a relationship issue. Um, in your marriage or with a boyfriend or girlfriend that has broken your heart. Um, you got a difficulty at work, um, at school. You got a grade at school this week and you feel so discouraged. And Jesus says, you hang in there, keep following me because if you persevere through this time, you will receive great reward someday in heaven. Lord, I pray for each person here that every word they most need to hear from you, that they'll hear it and they'll be encouraged by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.